0: Hello my unapologetic beauties, welcome to another episode of unapologetically her hosted by yours truly Natalie Nadine unapologetically her is a podcast created to not only tackle all things female and urban pop culture, but to empower embrace and educate the women of today's society. Welcome back to another episode of Unapologetically Her, the podcast that's for her, by her. And for today's episode, I am joined by a three-time breast cancer survivor and advocate, Miss Natalie Wilson. Thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Thanks, Natalie. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. It's good to be here with you.
0: Thank you. Now, I just want to put it on blast. I want to expose myself real quick. We did try to record this before, but you know, (laughs) Zoom wanted to act up with us. So I'm just honored for the fact that you want to come back and join me. So thank you so much.
1: Of course. It's such a wealth of information that's out there to give. So if we have to do it two times or three times to get it out there, then let's do it.
0: Yes. So as you guys know, for today's topic, we're talking about breast cancer, being a survivor, her journey, because I feel like this is something that you don't need to be a certain age to know Mm -hmm. about. You don't need to be a certain age to learn about. Probably the early the better. Like they say, like early diagnosis changes everything. So if you know this information from early, it's going to do like a whole life, just, I guess, not really a whole life journey, but life changing. Whether Mm -hmm. you experience, someone else experiences it, whether someone else can learn from this right everything just kind of works its way together
1: yeah for sure it does earlier the better definitely use hit the nail on the head uh, with that so yeah. we uh, started out early starting the education system start with our, our young daughters and nieces and you know granddaughters we gotta get, get the information out there sooner
0: exactly so before i jump into the topic though i want to know how are you with covid everything going on you know 2020 has just been a mess but how are you
1: mm-hmm. you know I, i'm good i'm good right now i um uh september uh, october were really crazy busy months of course back to school for the kids um and getting our heads wrapped around what that's going to be like and um october of course is breast cancer awareness month so there was a lot a lot of things that I was involved in, and happy to be there to do it, so definitely not complaining but um the self care piece is is huge with me and yes. i I took uh you know a good week off of being very involved with social media and just recouped and rested um because you know what good what good am I if I'm not healthy right exactly. So, Actually, um, took a little staycation in Toronto um, just last weekend. I, I booked a spa and I booked a hotel room for myself. Okay. For well, the husband, and the kids, mommy's out. <laughs> so I enjoyed that very much. So needed that.
0: I am so here for that. Yeah. Who says yeah. you have to travel? Forget the plane. Just find a nice little Airbnb hotel. And just yeah. the weekend. <laughs>
1: it's so amazing. Like what we have in our own backyard here in Toronto. I like, you know, I scoped out Kensington market and I was like, wow, this is what this place is. (laughs) So it it was a lot of fun. And, uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm good. I am good. I'm, I'm, I'm blessed to be here. I'm healthy um you know I'm I'm happy I'm good thank you for asking
0: that's good I'm happy to hear that like you said you don't know what's in your own backyard everyone thinks you have to go to some tropical paradise some foreign mm-hmm. country and it's like we have so many things at our fingertips like Kensington Market mm-hmm. you hear about that mm-hmm. every day but you really don't go there unless you have a purpose or someone tells you yeah. so that's actually cool that you brought that up
1: yeah I know no.
0: it's been a couple love- years
1: <laughs> yep yeah that's why I sent my daughter there last weekend she went there with her friends so I was like go and check it out
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love it. (laughs) So my first question for you is, taking you back to your first diagnosis, what was your initial reaction? Can you kind of walk us through that moment? Was there any kind of signs, symptoms indicating that you had cancer?
1: So um, yeah, I'll I'll walk you through that, that moment. Um, That was back in 2008 actually, kind of think, because there there's three diagnoses now, yeah. but my son was born September 11, 2007, and I nursed him um, for a good four months, and then I stopped nursing earlier than I normally would, so probably in December-ish, uh, so by February of 08 is um, when my breasts would have gone, you know, kind of gone back down to normal, and I was in the shower, and um, lathering up, and I felt a lump, and, and I would say this is all by fluke. Actually, I Actually, I take that back. I don't say anything by fluke. I say it, it God shows things to us in, in certain ways. Um, and I normally, I'm, I'm one of those, you know, old school Jamaican, I use a face cloth when I soap up, my lather, I always have to have a face cloth. I don't believe in just using your hands and lathering up your body, right? So normally I would have, if normally I would do that. And I don't know if I would have felt that lump at that time with the face cloth lathering up, but I, w- I was using my hands and as I came over my breast, I felt a lump, and I, I, th- I said, this is not normal. This is not um, part of what my, my breasts normally feel like, and, and I will say that I was not one of those regular people that felt my breasts on a re- every-month basis. Um, I didn't know all this growing up. I wasn't taught that. You know, my doctor never told me that. My mother never told me that. Grandmother, you know. Nobody really said, this is what you do. Do yourself check. Know your body, know your breasts. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt the lump and immediately I made an appointment with the doctor. I had a mammogram and ultrasound. Um, they both came back saying it was nothing, but I knew this was not nothing. And I pressed and she got me to see, um, another doctor who said, you know, okay, there's something there, but let's wait about six months. So now let's fast track into the bottom, say, uh, maybe August, July, August of 2008, and we had I had a lumpectomy. It was removed, and that came back to be ductal carcinoma in situ. Um, So, if for those who don't know what that means, ductal carcinoma in situ is an early grade um, cancer, normally, and it's uh, most oftentimes uh, non-invasive. So, the treatment routine this the treatment um, routine is not usually too bad. A lot of women just have the lumpectomy and then they might go through some radiation and maybe some a limited amount of chemo. Mm-hmm. Um, but mine, ductal, um, just by the name of the term DCIS, ductal carcinoma in situ, ductal is for cancer that starts within the milk box. Um, carcinoma is any cancer that really starts in the skin or tissue. Um, and in situ or in situ is uh, meaning within its sac still, so non-invasive, um, but mine um, had grown out of the sac, so it was invasive. So um, although I had the lumpectomy, at MRI showed that there were further areas of cancer, so I had to um, go further with my, my surgical procedures, which we'll get to, but first reaction, Hearing that I had cancer. Um, I was by myself for one. Um, I didn't expect to be hearing this kind of news when I went to go get my stitches out two weeks later. So I went by myself, I told my husband I was good. Um, Shock. Uh, All these emotions of sadness and worry for my children. Um, what's going to happen because of course you know a lot of people when they hear cancer they equate it to death it's just,
0: exactly because that's usually the stories so, that you hear in the media it
1: unfortunately it, it is right and we don't hear about the stories of survival as much as we hear about someone died by cancer exactly and so that was of course the first thing going through my head was you know how long am I going to have to live you know what how, how are my children going to survive how's my husband going to survive and all all that stuff so I cried, of course, my doctor, um, and I had become fairly close. So she looked pretty shook up too, because she didn't expect to be telling me that news. Um, so yeah, I was kind of numb and shocked. That would be the first, the first reaction. I'd say, um, from, from hearing, Hey, you have cancer. Yeah.
0: The last thing you expected to really hear.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm, uh, mother of three my first daughter was eight my second daughter was five well three three by this time and then my son was newborn so yeah like I don't want to hear that information who wants to hear that and I mean I know the doctor did say if there's any cancer that you want to have any breast cancer that you want to have then this would be the type and I mean I understand what she's saying but nobody wants to hear the word cancer but Mm -hmm. what she's saying is if there's a, a um a higher, high chance of you of your survival rates um, and no reoccurrence, then this is the cancer that's probably the better one to have, so.
0: See, I'm, I'm actually shocked by that because usually when you hear about breast, breast cancer, people always tell you just check the lumps, but you had breast cancer in a form that you don't typically hear about, whether it's from yeah. a survivor, whether it's from stories about someone else, whether it's in the media. So just one more time, can you go over the the kind of cancer you had versus lumps? Like, oh, I guess the different kind of breast cancers. I so, okay, have. so,
1: yeah. So mine, okay, mine was fo- found in the form of a lump. And mm-hmm. um, that was, mine was ductal carcinoma in situ. But um, I can't really speak to the fact that DCIS only shows itself in the form of a lump. I don't know that. I'm not a doctor, so I'm not going to to speak about that. But um, what I will say, um, and there's been a little, a lot of, um, um, I guess a lot of a lot of women have misdiagnoses because um, they're not sure of the forms that breast cancer can show itself. And so, if they don't find a lump, which a lot of people just think that's what you have to find before you know you have anything, um, and then if they don't have a lump, then I guess it's not cancer. Like for mm-hmm. a mosquito bite um, on your breast, something that looks like a mosquito bite on your breast, someone would think it's just okay, something bit me. That could possibly be breast cancer, but. Um, not so much there that can be an indication of um, breast cancer, and I, I want to read this off really quickly because it just talks about the different um, uh, ways that breast cancer can show itself on on your breast, uh, on the skin, and under. And so when I when I even read it sometimes, and I, I I think, wow, who would have known? You would think that you know you hear of a lump. And that would indicate, okay, breast cancer, but there's so many other, other ways. So um, feeling a thick mass, of course, that was, again, first, first thing that I felt. Um, indentation in your skin, of your breasts. Um, skin sores, so something that looks like a mosquito bite or something like that. Um, redness or heat, so warm to touch. Um, unusual or new kind of fluid, say, out of your, your nipple area, your nipple um, dimpling and um, hidden a hidden lump orange peel type skin so your skin looks like it's very porous so on like an area of your skin it just look, look like what an orange peel would look like if you think about what that that is right oh. um yeah new shape or size in your breast so almost like like malformation of your your breast. Um, retracted nipple and a growing growing veins in different areas of your of your breast. And with my second diagnosis in two thousand and sixteen, um, it was nipple cancer. And so, just to backtrack real quick, um, my the first diagnosis was DCIS. My second diagnosis, which I'll talk further in detail about was um, Paget's disease of the nipple. So it was nipple cancer. And yeah, um, I, I, I had a double mastectomy reconstruction but I left my nipples. Um, that was one of my options. And so cancer came back in my nipple. So when we're talking about signs, um, excretion, I've had uh, excretion from my nipple, like kind of bloody uh, fluid. And that was and it, something that alerted me that there was something going on there. Yes. So, there's a lot of ways um, to know um, well to alert you to to know that there could be a possible concern
0: mm-hmm. oh
1: wow so you know, like i always talk to my daughters about you know early detection so um, what that looks like for them at, at 21 and 16 is really just feeling your breasts and knowing your body right um, Young women, women need to, to know more about what feels normal in their body at certain times of the month so that they can understand when something feels abnormal, that it's possible that there's something going on, right? So you got to really know your body and then advocate for yourself and say, hey, you know, mom, dad, doctor, teacher, anybody, aunt, uncle, there is something going on here. I, I need, you know, I want to go to the doctor. Yeah. yeah. So it's very, very important. Self-advocacy It's, it's huge.
0: I think that's a big thing because, like you said, I think growing up, probably Caribbean background, it could be almost any background. We're not really taught that. We're not really mm-hmm. taught to, like, okay, feel your body, know your body, love your body in that way. So, like you said, mm-hmm. once you know something is abnormal, you can spot it out. A lot of yeah, people absolutely. either ignore it or they don't even realize it's abnormal. Yeah, right. Until it's too late. And,
1: and I want to. Yeah, I want to say that it really. I mean, it's come incumbent upon. Um, parents of course to teach their their children things like that but where do our children spend most of their time at schools right so i think that you know programs need to be entered into um the health um courses or the health programs that teach you know young women and young men about the diseases that um are very common that can actually take your life you know we learn a lot about STDs and, you know, um, healthcare and how to, I mean, sort of home and how to cook, how to take care of a, you know, a rubber baby and all that kind of stuff. But it's, it's like, you know, what about these things that are likely, um, uh, situations, diseases, ailments that are, are going to be, um, are, are going to affect, you know, yourself down the road. So I think it's important to get that information into the, the school systems and get our, get our, get our children um, educated.
0: No, I absolutely agree, absolutely. Mm-hmm. There's so many, I feel like personally speaking, there's a lot of things in school that they teach us, which mm-hmm. I don't think is necessary unless you're going into that profession. But these mm-hmm. everyday things, everyday occurrences, it might not be everyday for you at the moment, but you don't know yes. when you're gonna come to that point where you're like, yes. I wish I knew this ahead of time. Yes, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. yeah for sure.
0: So my next question for you is, because you mentioned you have three kids, you have two daughters and a son. Mm-hmm. So can you tell us how your kids handled your diagnosis? How do you talk about this with your children?
1: Well, um, it's different. it was different for, for me at different stages, because again, my first diagnosis, my children were young. And then eight years later, they were, of course, all eight years older. Um, so when they were young, um, I didn't tell them in detail as I did, you know, eight years later. So in 2008, for instance, um, I don't think I really said much to my children about it. I was just, you know, like, again, my daughter, my first was eight, my second was three and my son was newborn. So, I mean, what do you say? Right. Right. Um, I just know that they saw mommy in and out the hospital. So I had to tell them something. So um, I didn't use the word cancer because um, I know again, just like an adult, children hear that word um, and they think cancer, they think death, right? And the only one that probably would have thought that would be my, my older daughter. And I didn't want her to think that way, right? Because um, with that stress, you, know, really, you really have to be careful about how you go forward with um, the support system when it comes to the children um, when a parent is dealing with an ailment such as that, because it can um, bring about other um, problems, you know, behavioral problems and um, uh, learning um, problems if you don't deal with it right. And I don't think I was any mind frame really to be a, a counselor to my child because I needed help myself. You exactly. know what I mean? And I, I, was, I was in this phase where I was like, boom, like I have cancer. Oh, and I'm trying to focus on how I'm going to get better. So we really didn't get deep into the conversation with her. She just knew mommy's not well. Um, we'll be okay. I will be okay. Um, and, you know, after all my surgeries, I come, come out of them um, and she'd see that I was okay. You know, they see that I was up in them. So I think they 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 learned that over the years that cancer is not necessarily a death sentence. Um, And you can come out of it and, and grow from it. Um, So when it returned um, in 2016, the two times, because that was when my second and third diagnosis were shown, they were older. So now my son now at this point would have been 2016, maybe 10, 10, yeah, 9, 10. Mm -hmm. And then they were all a little bit older. So my second daughter was five years older and, and sorry, three years older than him. And then five years older than her. So they're at the age where I needed to sit down mm-hmm. because my concern was they're hearing the word again, mommy has cancer. Um, second and third time. Now they're older. I'm sure they've heard a lot more about it over these years. What does it mean that mommy has it again? And I didn't want them to fear you know, about a reoccurrence and that this time it's, I'm not going to be so lucky. So I sat with them and I explained to them what this type of cancer was, um, what the survival rate was of my type of cancer, because it was important to explain the differences between that type of cancer and say lung cancer or, you know, another type of cancer. Um, And that, you know what, I'm going to be here. And by the grace of God, I will wake up from each surgery and i will I will be here to to support them and, and raise them as long as God wants me to be but what, what I started to do was make them also understand that um, not to be afraid of death you know and not to be afraid of um, the, the stages of healing that one has to go through when they 're stricken with an ailment because that is the natural progression to get from, you know, broken and depressed to finally at a place where you're well with it. You're going to go through through emotions and, and through um, the healing processes. And, and it's not only you as a survivor that's going through it, your family's going through it too. Your partner, your children, they're, they're all going to um, have to find ways to cope with it. And, um, I, as I matured in my healing process, if you will, um, I learned that I needed to support, I also need to support people in different ways because, yeah. you know, not everybody can accept or deal with the diagnosis of their loved one. Um, the same way, you know, like for instance, that my husband, he was very kind of introverted and just kept everything to himself. And yeah. this is a, of you know working and taking care of the children and dropping them off and picking them up and keeping the house tiny and taking care of me physically and um he like the emotional aspect of his support wasn't as great as I would need it but he was totally focused on the the physical let I me mean, make sure that she's you know she's good she's you know she's got food you know help her sit up in the bed let's let's help clean up you know the house and and all those things.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Of course, they're going about their everyday, doing their everyday things. Um, But as, as the years have gone by, I realized how each of them were different with my diagnosis and how they were taking it. And my older daughter, again, like my husband, he internalizes, she internalizes everything. She wasn't talking and she wasn't also, she wasn't spending a lot of time around me, especially after I get out of the hospital. And I, and I finally had to bring it up to her and ask her, like, you know, what what's up? Like, I really need you, need you here. And it came out that she, um, she didn't like seeing me like this. Mm. So it was hard to see me in that state because she's so used to seeing me so strong, right? And yeah. so get up and go and, you know, always got my hair did and, <laughs> looking, you know, like that strong mom that, she knows. so to see me, um, you know, in a state, you know, with tubes and stuff like that was hard for her my daughter was also like my my little maid like my little sorry not my maid my little um nurse Mm -hmm. she was always there mommy do you need anything can i cream your feet you know can i dry you up do you need to eat pull my blankets up to my neck you know (laughs) that was her that's so cute yeah so you, you you learn to deal with everybody differently and you learn um that everybody um although they mean well and they want to they support you they don't always know exactly what you need and everyone kind
0: know. of processes things differently
1: absolutely yeah mm-hmm. yeah oh. well i think that's a
0: really good um in a sense giving people um different i would say different views because like you said each one of your kids are different and each yeah. one of them handle it differently So not everyone's going to be like, okay, how do we help? How do we do this? And not everyone's going to be like, okay, I'm just going to keep to myself. I'm like, you know, very nervous for mommy or daddy, whatever the case may be, like each person's going to handle it different. You kind of have to know, although you're hurting, how to move and adjust around it as well. Absolutely. That's very eye-opening because everyone expects, okay, the minute something happens, even your husband, well, what do we need to do now? What's the next step? What's the game plan? And sometimes Mm -hmm. it's not always what you need in that moment.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I just like, you know, as a survivor and someone going through treatment and, and healing, sometimes you, you want people around. Sometimes you don't. Sometimes you want someone just there. Like I just wanted my husband just to be there beside me in that, that quiet support moment. You know what I mean? I don't necessarily need you to say anything, um, but just be there, be present. Um, and it was hard to accept him not being there all the time when I needed him because I'm in this stage where going to the stage where like I'm so emotionally broken that I just need all this love and attention and affection and hold my hand and say it's okay baby you're gonna be fine and hug hugs hugs and kisses kisses all the time meanwhile he's still got to carry on with the business of, of running our family right um on top of this knowledge that his wife has cancer
0: always at the back of his mind
1: yes and so this is what ended up coming out out of counseling because we ended up having to go because you know I was a mess and I was upset and I thought things weren't good anymore and why aren't you here beside me and what's wrong and and it turns out that you know he of course he's very sad and broken but he's not going to show that to me right? Because he doesn't want me to see him be broken. He's got to be this pillar of strength. Mm-hmm. He's got to be this pillar of strength and ha- help me get through it. So how is he going to help me get through it if he shows that he's broken and he's upset? And he
0: he's can't show it. you and he can't
1: show the kids. There still needs to be that one. Right, right. So you imagine that burden on him, right? Yeah. So I learned to, to let that go and, um, accept the support, um, in various forms from, from everybody else, you know, including him, he was there, but I'm just saying, you know, I had to open up and like let other people come on in, you know, come on in and take over. And
0: help. Yeah. And then come on in their way versus your way every time.
1: Absolutely. And that's huge because, you know, you, for instance, I'm a type a personality. <laughs> I love things a certain way. I'm very organized. I'm very anal, but like my house looks like a model home for the most part and I love that's because I have three children and a dog and a husband. So how does that happen? But it's because I'm like, oh like I got right. <laughs> but um, it was hard for me to allow people to come in and, and kind of just take over while I'm laid up in bed. Right. Cause it meant that dinner is going to be not not what I made or it's going to be you know cooked differently or you know I'm going have to have to someone else into my private surroundings like clean my bathrooms and my toilets and stuff like that and that was like outside of my comfort zone right yes not and it, once I learned to let it go it was the best thing for me because I would literally like getting myself up out of bed you know holding my breasts with one side and like cleaning with the other and as soon as I come in from the hospital I you know, instead nice. of going to my bed, like organizing the kitchen, and like I needed to stop doing that. Like everybody's like, Natalie, go to your bed. Yeah, and it's the it's the it's the the piece of um, learning how to let go um, and knowing that the self care piece is very important. Mm-hmm. And I can't do well by myself and care for myself if if I don't let other people in and let other you have to let other people in to support you. And by the same token, there's some people that you have to let out,
0: and that's the part we don't really talk about either.
1: That's where we don't t- talk about it's it's you know it's not everybody is going to be able to support you um, at times like this, um, and not necessarily is it because that they don't care, but the way that they're supporting you, it might be even I don't want to say hurtful, but if it if it's too much, if it's too hurtful for you. Um, or if you're looking at it as in, how are you not there for me at a time like this? Um, and if it gets so strong, that feeling, then you need to just let it go. You need to let them go. Mm -hmm. And I say that times like this kind of brings out the best and the worst in people, Aaron, who's really there for you. um, and you learn who's not, and it might just be for a temporary period that they're not there for you and that you you guys might find yourselves back together. Um, and whether it's friendships, um, or family relationships, you might find yourself back together after it's all said and done, but dealing with a cancer diagnosis, um, is difficult for everybody. And it's difficult for the breast cancer is difficult for women because of the nature of what it affects mm-hmm. and it doesn't really affect you, um, physically, but removing a part of the female anatomy. Your breasts are something that we all look to as women as a very, very definite part of our female anatomy, of, our, um, of our, our, our physical beauty. And so for those that can't imagine, imagine not having your breasts anymore and think about how that will affect you mentally. Oh, yes. Right. And so that, that's a whole different ball game. So, you know, going through reconstruction, it's, it's not an easy process. It's not an easy decision, first of all, to remove your breasts. Um, and then secondly, it's a combination of physical healing and emotional healing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: Well, actually you just tied into my next question. Cause you talk mm-hmm. about the, um, the breast reconstruction surgery. So actually, mm-hmm. can you go into depth as to what that process is like? So, and then what are some of the common misconceptions um, with all the options that were given to you? Would you still pick the option that you did knowing mm-hmm. what you
1: know now? Okay, so I'm gonna have to break it down into a few parts because I had several surgeries. As I don't know if I said this already, but I've had 22 surgeries to date. And that's because. And this is
0: dating back since two thousand and eight to now,
1: till February of this year. Um, Because of complications with my um, reconstruction, as well as the three different diagnoses, which kind of brought me back to surgery each time, and then with each surgery there were complications. So add it all up, there was twenty two at the end of it all. So in 2008, when I had my first, my lumpectomy that was on the right side, um, that was the initial surgery. And because it was, right, I think I said that I had an MRI just after I had the lumpectomy and it showed that there were some other suspicious areas um, in the breast tissue, which yes. is um, invasive. Um, so then the doctor said, okay, well, you have an option. You can go in and take out more tissue and get rid of the rest of that invasive cancer, or you can do what we call a subcutaneous mastectomy. Subcutaneous means behind, as we know. So, so you would leave your nipples and then go in behind and take out ninety-five percent of your tissue and fat and muscle. Okay. So what they did was they did one breast at well. I had said, and this is this is something that a lot of women will will say they agree or they disagree. Um, is I was like. If you're doing one side, go in there and do the other. I know my, my personality. I know I'd be the type of person that would worry about it the rest of my life. Oh, I had it on one. I'm going to get it on the other. Right. Yep. There's no, there's no, um, uh, what's the word research to, to say that that is such, um, I'm speaking about my own personal fear my own personal concerns. Like let's beat it before it even has the chance. Yeah. 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 Like, you know, like I I quit before you fire me kind of thing. Right. (laughs) So, um, the, the doctors um, didn't agree, but when it was all said and done, it was my decision. Um, so I chose to do a sub, both bilateral um, subcutaneous mastectomies, leaving my nipples, which I thought, you know, at 35, I think I'd be happy to have a beat cancer but and get reconstructed and still be able to have my own nipples. Um, so that happened, and then... Um, when I think back to it now I was like you know I wish that someone had told me that there are some concerns with leaving your nipples and I wouldn't have known that until 2016 when um, I prior to that I started noticing a lot of um, discharge from my my nipples my one nipple sorry the same breast that had had cancer originally so my right side mm-hmm. um, and as I was going in for my 13th surgery um, my 13th reconstructive surgery and my last surgery, by the way, that was supposed to be my last surgery. Um, I said to the doctor, you know, something's not right here. Something's going on. I, I just need for you to check it out. She says, for sure, for sure we will. And, um, two weeks later when I went back to, um, get my results, that was Paget's disease of the nipple, which is a very rare and uncommon cancer, but it's, it's a cancer of the nipple and it happened and it happened to me. Um, so 13, surgery number 13 wasn't my last surgery at the end of the day. Um, I'll just backtrack a little bit just before my, I go into the complications from the, the second cancer, but um, reconstruction for everybody is not the same. No. Um, a lot of women can have their mastectomies and then the doctor might go in and put a tissue expander and stretch you out, which was what my case was. Um, and then after that, they'll go and take that out and put it in an implant, and you're good. Okay? Some doctors do it all in one. Some doctors do it in a few. My body wasn't having it, having it, and I formed um, hematomas. So my breast got like triple the size and black and blue after the tissue expander was inserted into my breast, um, and that was to stretch the skin. And because of that, they had to rush me back into the surgery. I lost a ton of blood. I had blood transfusion. I had to have a blood transfusion. They rushed me back in, took out the tissue expanders, closed me up, had me heal, and then they started the process all over again. Um, but because of the amount of times that I had to be cut through my muscle and cut cut into um, my my breast, the rest of my tissue and the muscle, because the implants go behind the muscle, um, my muscle became like cheesecloth, if you will. So it was like yeah, not holding anything. Wasn't holding the implants. You know, there was a lot of scar tissue. Um, my, my implants were, you know, lopsided and, and just very painful because of the scar tissue. Um, so the doctor sent me to a specialist at St. Michael's who used a procedure, a product called Alloderm, which is um, human cadaver tissue, which when added to your own skin, it's like a sponge at your own blood and, and um, fluid. Um, uh, I guess kind of absorbs into that and it becomes your own and so that was to help like build a hammock to hold my implants and then there were several fat grafting sessions um, so then we went through all that and then we come to 2016 when I was on my last one and then it was nipple cancer
0: so yeah and you were supposed to have 13 surgeries and you've ended up having 22 within these last so at the
1: end of it all I've had 22, 22. Oh, okay <laughs> By the time I got to my second diagnosis um, with the nipple cancer, I had had 13 of that. That was my thirteen surgery. Oh my um, gosh. of a nipple and areola having to be removed um, and they take out a good portion of your skin, right? Just think you got to not only cut the circle of your areola and your nipple away, but they go in and take out like a good marginal area. And then when they take that off and then sew so you back up. You have less tissue. So I, I, my complications ended up being that I was busting open at the seams pretty much of my, my grass, because now I've been cut again and sewn back together, but the pressure behind it was not what was causing other problems. So again, everything happens for a reason. And, um, I really believe that because the complications that sent me back into surgery, that was the only way the doctor was able to take out some extra tissue just to be sure she caught everything. And that was when my third diagnosis was discovered. So again, I mean, had I not had complications, I wouldn't have went back into surgery. Had I didn't go back into surgery, the doctor would have found the third cancer. Yeah. So kind of in a sense, everything happens for a reason. Yeah, everything happened for a reason. And, um, you know, unfortunately, I didn't want to have to have so many surgeries, but because of... The complications that threw me into surgery after surgery after surgery, you know, you know, three surgeries ended up being six surgeries, you know, and then six surgeries ended up being another three more. Um, And then the cancer came back. So now we got to backtrack and then start again. So that was my experience. And um, after the third diagnosis, this is all the second and third diagnosis was in 2016. And so after the third diagnosis, the doctor was like, you know what, Natalie, we just have to remove the whole breast. Like after all the reconstruction that you've gone through, it seems like it's come back in your nipple, it's come back again in the lower tissues of the skin, we're just going to have to take it off. So this time around, they took it off straight, right to the chest plate. Um, And that would have been surgery number 16. And I decided at that time that I'm going to live with just the one breast right now because I can't. I don't, I don't know what my options are right, right now. I don't want to think about it right now. I just want to take a break from all this surgery. Yeah. No, I never compare my breast cancer journey with anybody else's because everybody's story is unique to what they know. Um, and I never compare it to any, anybody else's story regardless of what they go through because what you know is, is, is indicative to what you've been through. Right. Like, like for a soldier, I always use this the analogy, like, I don't know what it's like for a soldier to lose his leg in war, you know, and to walk around, you know, as a, as a young person, you know, or old person doesn't matter, but without a limb. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but I know what it's like to have lost a breast, which, you know, in essence, are limbs almost. Yeah. To me. Um, and, or to have one breast or one and a half breast and one nipple, one and a half nipples. Like it's, that's my story. And that's what I know. Um, because the the stage and grade of my cancer being early stage but high grade aggressive growing growing but because we did drastic and went and took off the breast I didn't have to go through chemo um, or radiation but so I didn't experience that but what I experienced was the 22 surgeries the complications with the surgeries, the blood transfusions, the rushing back into surgery, the staph in, infection across my chest, which is a flesh eating disease across, across my chest from one of the fat grafting sessions, the, the black and blue of my full thigh, inner thigh, outer thigh, abdomen, buttocks from all the different fat grafting sessions that was necessary to try to build my breast back. Um, so after taking a break from all that, and really kind of doing some soul searching and trying to figure out what, why, what are you really doing reconstruction for? Like why? And, and I urge women before they get into their reconstructive journey, because you just don't know what it's going to be like, really understand why you want to do it. Is it just to build back a breast, just to feel physical as a woman again? Do you not feel, sorry, feel lovely, feel beautiful as a woman again? Like, do you not know that you are lovely as it is? Do you not know that you're beautiful as it is? Um, and those were the questions that I had to kind of come to grips with and, and answer for myself.
0: More like, are you doing it for you or are you doing it for your partner type of thing? Well, am I
1: doing it for my partner? Am I doing it because I don't, I won't, I don't feel beautiful otherwise? Like, I needed to know that I was beautiful and I was worthy and I was enough. Yes. Rest, right? Right? And um, so I was like, let's just take a minute. And I knew that when I started the reconstructive process back in 08, it to me, I didn't even think about anything, but okay, that's the next step, right? You, I've, I've lost my breasts. Um, it's reconstruction is next. Let's go giddy up, let's, let's get it done. I wasn't thinking about, you know, if I don't have them, how am I gonna feel as a woman? I wasn't thinking like that. I, I was just in the mindset that reconstruction is, is what I have to do, right? And it wasn't until I went through all of the surgery, surgery after surgery and, and thinking more and um, uh, understanding more about and reading more and learning more about women and breast cancer and the journey that they go through. And um, I started realizing that there, there's a lot more to this than just the physical part of it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the last part of my reconstructive journey that we can talk about other things um, was, when I finally decided to complete the reconstruction. So I decided in, in 2018, after getting a few, um, seeing a few doctors as far as referrals are concerned, I decided that, um, well not decided, I, just, I, I did decide to start the reconstruction again, but the only um, surgery that was left for me was to use my, my latissimus dorsi muscle on my back. So that is one of the, the procedures that is done for women um, if they don't, if they can't use their abdomen um, tissue and fat and skin, because that's another one, it's called the, that's called the DF surgery. Oh. Um, yeah. They will take part of your abdomen and bring it up to your breast. It's, it's amazing the work that they can do. It's so amazing. Um, but this one for me, because my abdomen has already been compromised because I had three um, cesareans, oh. but also had an abdominal surgery. So they couldn't use my abdominal tissue because your blood vessels and everything have to be intact, so, um, yeah, so they took the muscle and tissue and skin from my back muscle and they brought it around to my front of my breast, attached it like so amazing. Um, I, I have pictures. I, on my Instagram, I have a lot of pictures of these things. Cause I just, when I started high heel diaries, I, I needed women to see like the, the stages that you go through and not mm-hmm. to be afraid of trying the the reconstruction. So yeah, they added the tissue then you added fat and then implants. And um, currently I'm at the last, last stage of um, my breast reconstruction and that is to tattoo. Yeah, thank you, tattoo um, on my nipple and areola. So I'm, I'm, I'm a woman at um, Cosmetic Transformations in Peterborough. And um, yeah, she's, she's began the process of giving me back my two little circles on my boobs. <laughs> actually cool oh yeah it's so amazing yeah so very amazing it's amazing how i mean the nipple and areola on a a woman's breasts are you know it's something we were you're born with so you see it you know it's always there but when it's gone yeah realize how much of a difference it makes in making your breast look complete Mm -hmm. yeah it's it's amazing it's amazing how much um like I already got to the place of knowing and feeling beautiful with my breasts, the way they were, that's, you know, something I, I worked on and I, and I, and I got there, but now that, um, cosmetic transformations is tattooed on my breasts, my nipples and areola, and I see them in the mirror and I look at the befores and afters. Oh, what a difference. It's amazing. It's a, it's amazing that like, I, I felt beautiful, but when I tell you, I feel even more beautiful. Wow yeah for sure it's amazing oh yeah there's a whole industry out there for all different parts of reconstruction it's like you just don't know and i think this is the thing that women are afraid of is because they don't know Mm -hmm. um and so i i urge them if you don't know if or not you want to rebuild or if you want to rebuild but you don't know which way you want to go you know talk to people get your doctor to let you talk to people to other women you know, get on social media, read other women's stories and, and do your research for sure.
0: Yeah. You can't really just take everything at face value
1: anymore. No, 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 you can't. No, it's very important. Get your, get your information. And I may always say that there's, there's always a ton of options there for you, but not all options are right for you. Exactly
0: definitely do your research and figure out okay based on who you are your body type looking long term into the future Mm -hmm. which one is actually right for me not because it worked for her not because he or she said so yeah you have to go with your gut feeling what's right for you
1: yeah right so and i and i knew like for instance taking my muscle from my back now i have a scar like that big on my back i still can't believe they can do that oh my god yeah it's amazing like they bring it through the the side like underneath your underarm through a tunnel Oh, and they, then they cut like a diamond shape from your back and remind, I'm reminding you that it's muscle tissue, fat skin. So it's a piece of your, your back and they keep it attached to like vessels, like blood vessels and veins and stuff like that. And then they make a tunnel under your arm and they bring it around and then they cut, you know, the same, it's like a puzzle. So they cut and open a piece on your, on your breast. And they attach it. Oh yeah. my gosh. They attach it. So you heal up from that. And then um, you get some fat grafting. So they, you know, I got a free butt lift, you know. <laughs> <laughs> they, they took fat from my butt. I'm here for it. <laughs> they took fat from my butt and they put it in my breast. They took fat from my inner, my outer thighs and my abdomen. I put it in my breast. So, I mean, there's, 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 you know, some great work and a lot of options out there for sure. Wow. So yeah, I'm at the end now and I'm, I'm so happy to move on and close this chapter of my life. So
0: since February, there's no more surgeries to come after you are
1: just doing the tattoo process now. Yeah, it's just a tattoo process. Yeah. Oh, thank God. Yeah, no, it's been a, been a whirlwind for sure. Um, And when I was talking about the stages of healing um, and we talked about depression, shock, denial, and all that, um, I really want to talk, I'm going to talk to you more about why um, I started High Hill Diaries, but Mm -hmm. I eventually got to the end stage of, of all those stages of healing in which was philanthropy, where I just felt like I needed to give back because of all my years of going through what I went through and learning what I learned, I realized that, you know, I really don't want women to have to go through all of this in order to get to the place where I'm at now. Education, you know, um, all the, the information that they can get, as much as asking questions of their doctors, getting information from other women that have been there, done that. Um, and and sharing your journey with others is so important because if it can empower and inspire and encourage and educate another person so that they don't have to make the same mistakes or they don't have to um, go to a doctor's appointment and say, have a doctor say, okay, you're going to do a subcutaneous mastectomy and leave your nipples. Are you okay with that? Yes, doctor, I'm okay with that. No, but now anybody that's heard my story might say, hmm, what about nipple cancer? Tell me about that." What are the odds? Right. So um, I went through all those stages and I was on tamoxifen. It's a estrogen block blocker drug for five years of my first um, when I was first diagnosed. And that pretty much throws you into um, a whirlwind of menopausal symptoms at 35 years old, 35, 36, 37. So I was going through a lot and postpartum because my son was still young and um, I'm I'm just bringing this up in relation to the stages of healing. Yes, no, for sure. I didn't know that there were these stages of healing, okay? And I'm going to rattle them off real quickly because they're really important for for people to to know that these, these are stages and there's actually certain telltale signs of what you're going through that'll say, you know what? that's that stage of healing that's that stage of healing and you know what? no one goes through all of them at the same time no. and you don't go through any of them at the same in the same order it's just it's almost a guarantee that you're gonna go through them at some point before you get to a place where you're like you know what this is my journey this is my story it's been what, what's been given to my life and I'm gonna make the best of it and it's, it's I'm gonna see what I can do with it thereafter and so um, I'll just read off the 10 stages of healing as according to Dr. Gail Goodwin. Absolutely. This is what I learned. And this is what kind of helped me to say, you know what? I got to get myself involved in something that can, can help to get the information out there. So I got myself involved in my own business and I started, <laughs> but, um, shock, denial, pain, bargaining. So it's like, okay, you know what? This is what it is. This is what I have, and and this is what I'm up against right now. Um, But if I had done such and such, or if I give up such and such, will this be better? You know, that's that bargaining factor. You're like, you so you can get something better. Um, Depression. And this is what I want to hit on. There was a time when I was driving my vehicle, my truck, with my children from uh, my godmother's house in, in Mississauga. And I'm coming home. I'm going over a bridge. And I, it was, it was only the Lord that was keeping me in check because I felt myself doing this and turning the wheel. And it was either, if I turn left, I'm going to go over the bridge. If I turn right, I'm going to go into the truck. And I literally had to shake my head and say, something's up here. Natalie, you can get off the highway. Mm -hmm. get yourself to the doctor. And I, I, you know, I took a breath, I took a couple of breaths and I slowed down and I've gotten to the slow lane and I was like, something's not right. Something's going on here. And so I'm in like, say first year, second year of this whole reconstructive process. So I'm still dealing with all the early emotions of it. The yes. multiple surgeries. Okay. My children are young and I'm dealing with the postpartum and I'm on the tamoxifen and it's like everything at me. Right. It was and, at its peak in a sense. Yeah. Right. And so what I'm trying to say is that when you, you have to recognize when you're going through certain stages and I recognize that I was depressed and with that can come so many other, um, concerns. And this is when, you know, my husband and I were, you know, going through, um, a near divorce, like this one, we had to either get counseling or something's going to, some, something's got to give. Right. Um, and so be very aware of when you're going through the different stages of healing and if you need help, then get the help. And that's why I, I had to introduce counseling into, into my life. Yeah. Um,
0: and don't be ashamed of it either.
1: And don't be ashamed. And I always say that um, uh, vulnerability is part of your strength because it takes a strong person to say, you know what? I'm not doing well. I recognize I'm not doing well. I'm not perfect. I can't do it by myself. I need the help. Right? Yeah and i became a certified coach practitioner a life coach um, after i started high hill diaries because i learned so much that again i needed to impart that information to to others but i also realized that there were people that want to share their story and they want to open up and talk and they recognize that they have an issue but they just they, they don't know how to get there so part of the life coaching um that i do uh right now is is to help women get to that place where you want to be a part of sharing your story and empowering other people and you want to get there but you're not ready yet let me help you get there so help them to um, recognize that they have an issue um, realize that something needs to be done in order to get to that place that they want to be at um, replace negative habits never negative behaviors and negative people with positive things and then repeat, repeat. absolutely pattern. So it's the four R's. It's, it's um, a model that we use, um, with my coaching and it really helps. And so sometimes when I'm going through, through my own, because I still go through my own as I'm I'm human, Mm -hmm. my dark moments. I, I, I implement the four R's. I implement the four R's. Can you just repeat your, the four R's real quick? So recognize, realize, replace, and repeats. I like that. Yeah. So after depression was surrender. And then we have recovery. Then we have rebirth, moving on, and then philanthropy. So you go through those motions and you're finally like, you know what? I'm going to throw it all up. I'm going to throw it all away. Leave it up to God, whichever way you want to, you know, say it. But you finally say to yourself, you know what? I can't let this hold me. I can't let this define me, you know? Cancer is only, was only given to me. It's not going to define me. It's not going to control my life um, and, and move forward. And so, so here I am. <laughs> See, I just love that you're able to
0: just so confidently talk about the story. You can laugh, you can cry through it. And the mm-hmm. fact that you're using your story and your message, it's almost like, yes, it's, and again, it's always going to be something in a sense negative that happened to you, but it's some, it happened mm-hmm. to you for a reason.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. It happens to me for a reason. And um, whenever I do say I, I'm, motivational, I'm a motivational speaker, and whenever I do um, have a keynote speaking engagement, i always started off by explaining that my, my, can, my, my, my journey didn't start with my cancer diagnosis. My journey started at birth with everything that I went through in my life. Little, small, happy, big, doesn't matter, whatever kind of moment they were, right? And and for everybody, their journey starts then. Your your destiny is written out for you when you are conceived, Mm -hmm. And I really believe that I was being prepared for something greater when um, I was 29, my sister was shot and killed at twenty-four. Oh my god. My condolences. Yeah. Oh my God. Thanks. And so we lost, you know, my younger sister and with no answers. There's no it was there's was no answers, no closure. Right. And I never wow. thought I was that person very emotional. I'm like, if you I don't know, look at me wrong, I'll cry. Right? <laughs> so <laughs> I was one of those people that I was like, how am I ever gonna get over this? Mm-hmm. How do I? with the death death of my sister I was miserable all the time I cried I was sad 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 and but you know I was carried through I was and I shortly after that within a year my uncle became ill with brain cancer he died um shortly after that my grandfather or I think it was vice versa but with my grand all within you know a short period of time my grandfather Um, six months after my sister passed, I got pregnant, um, I was pregnant for four months and then I lost it. So all these things I believe were in preparation for something greater to come, which mm-hmm. was my own physical, personal journey with my battle with breast cancer. And I think God was just preparing me. Like I believe that he chooses his, um, what's the term? He chooses his biggest, his greatest soldiers for his hardest battles yes and i think he he knew that i'd be able to do something where he's preparing me to to turn around and do something with my experience and and so here it is wow see once
0: you explain kind of like your backstory Mm -hmm. to that i yes Mm -hmm. a true definition of that
1: yeah yeah you know i always think that, that you know life you never go through life unscathed um and it depends on what you dealt with, what you deal with in your life that kind of builds your resiliency, builds your character. Um, you know, a lot of people can can take issues that happen, like bad things that happen in their life and either take it and run with it and make something positive of it, or they can let it turn them into this, you know, horrible, mean, hateful, um, woe is me type of person. Yes. And, you know, I guess coming from, you know, strong, parentage and a very strong mom. I always knew that there there's no room for woe is me. You have to pick up and get up and you gotta get going. And you gotta, you know, have your moments, yes. Mm-hmm. But you gotta put on fix your crown, put those heels back on and get moving.
0: It's like you said, you can't let it define you.
1: Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely not.
0: Whew. I feel like I just need to take like a breather for you. Oh my mm-hmm. gosh.
1: Yeah. It's, it's um it's a good feeling. Um High Hill Diaries. Are we going to talk about High Hill Diaries? Or are you going to? Yeah. yeah. Actually, baby. your
0: baby. Before we oh, before we get into your baby, I really want you to just tell us real quick. How do you do a proper self examination?
1: Ah. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So, well, the the key is um to to lie down. Um, know. can you see me well right now? Can you? See yeah. Me? Okay. So you lie down and you put your arm behind your, your head, and mm-hmm. you get your, your three fingers Mm -hmm. and you just kind of go around your breasts and just move around around in circles and kind of press in, move around, press in, move around and do it a few different times throughout the month, because you have this thing they call feel it on the first. Um, But if you only feel your breasts on the first of the month and you don't feel it say in the middle and at the end, then you only know what your breast feels like at the first of the month. Oh, I see what you mean. So know what your breasts feel like at different times of the month. So you can say, okay, during, you know, menstruation, my breasts feel this way. During ovulation, my breasts feel like this way. Um, And, you know, during another time of my month, it doesn't feel like anything. Some women have fibrous breasts. Some women have the breasts that feel the same all the time. So, but the point is, how do you know when something feels odd if you don't know what the norm is? right so that's um yeah go around in circles cuz right now for me uh, mammograms and ultrasounds do nothing for me i mean i have no more breast tissue um i have implants and then fat grafting so um i can't have a mammogram ultrasound might find like a um, a, a lesion but yeah. like how a mammogram will tell you a little bit further, um, I can't have that anymore. So the only way for me to um, know that whether or not something's up is to see my onc- oncologist. I see him every six months and he does um, uh, a, self, a breast exam. So that's, and I just have to be in tune with my body. I have to know what feels normal. If I don't feel well internally, I've got to speak up, you know, and just pay attention to it all because, um, you know, God forbid, you know, this happens to me again. I will beat it every time. If he wants to come and come at me again, come on. I will beat it every time. Yes. But he is, is to be, to be um, proactive and, and to, to always know what's going on in your body as much as you can anyways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Don't wait on it. No. Don't wait. Right. and and get screening as often as you can, as often um, as you are able to. Like, I know it's it's depending on where you live, you know, in the United States it's different because they have to pay into, into this, these kind of things. In Canada, we're lucky to have, you know, um, the healthcare system that we do have and we are allowed to get mammograms like every certain amount of years. Um, but in between that, just yeah. to know what's going on. Absolutely. Oh,
0: and like you said, you always, in a sense, encourage your daughters as well. Like, it does, you don't have to be a certain age to start examining yourself, to start checking. Yeah. Out.
1: No, 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 you don't. Just, just know, you, you when you, once you have rest, it's time mm-hmm. to learn. That's, that's what I say. You're, you're a young woman and you're starting to show. Um, it's, it's time to, to start learning about that and, and understanding. Um, the correlation too between in your re- reproductive system with your your breast and your your ovaries and your your uterus because oftentimes if a woman has breast cancer there's a higher chance of uterine and o- or ovarian cancer. So.
0: Wow! Oh, so now we start doing them. And be like, okay, it's the first of the month, it's the middle, and the end. I know. I didn't yes. know throughout the entire month how you yeah. feel.
1: Like. Yeah, yeah, just know, do it at different times. First of the month is great cuz at least you're doing it period. Like, and I'm glad there is that awareness that's out there because it makes women that didn't even think about doing it at all at least say, you know what? Okay, at least I got to do it once. But, yeah, I'd say do it more than once for the month.
0: For no, sure. I absolutely agree. Mm-hmm. I hope that you love what you're hearing so far. Stay connected by not only listening to the podcast But you can watch the recordings on the YouTube channel, Unapologetically Her podcast, and follow the podcast on Instagram at unapologeticallyher and at unapologetic underscore UH on Twitter. If you want to connect with me personally, your host Natalie Nadine, follow me at Natalie Nadine on all three social media platforms. Now we're gonna move on to your baby. You have mentioned it before, High Heel Diaries. Yeah. So tell us, we kind of see how it was inspired to start, but tell us yes. the purpose, what it's about, what you do. Because yes. I have binge watch all your videos. Yeah. on the website? I'm like, okay, it's like a rabbit hole. I just, I just keep going. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> there's a lot of information there. I do a lot with it. Um, I, I wanted to, to have a platform um, that was kind of multifaceted. Um, like I'm such a busybody, I can't just do one thing, right? So, <laughs> the typical Jamaican, like I, I, you know, I work five jobs. No, <laughs> I just, <laughs> I, I, it's a multi. Just anyone named Natalie. This is what we're about. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> so, um, High Hole Diaries came about, of course, in 2016. So, I'd say October 2016 is when I, um, I couldn't sleep and I kept thinking about all these things that I want to do with what I know now. And again, I told you that I was kind of in this philanthropy mode where I'm like, okay, I want to, I want to get back. I want to share because, you know, I met so many wonderful people along the way. So many doctors and nurses were so kind and so good to me. And a lot of my friends were just really great in family. And, and they were asking me a lot of questions and it got me some of them. I didn't know. And a lot, a lot of them, I didn't know and a lot of things I was able to give them information on. And it felt good because, you know, I've sent quite a few people to the doctor because they felt a lump and they weren't sure and they they leave either finding out that it is or isn't something but like i feel that i feel good because i played a role in that you know so when um i was talking with my girlfriend one day at on my bedside and she was like and i was talking to her about you know what i learned and she's like natalie you should really do something with this you're, you're you give such great information and i was like yeah you know what you know what i should i'm going to so um Another friend of mine and I, we brainstormed names and I knew I wanted it to do with something with heels because that's just, I love my high heels. And I I think it's so indicative of strength and um, like being strong when it comes to a woman. It's sexy and it's strong and it's powerful. I always believe like when I put on my heels, I'm like, I'm walking. I'm like, come and mess with me. (laughs) Come and mess with me. especially when I put on a suit (laughs) yeah so um we came up with high heel diaries but heel is spelled h-e-a-l and she came up with a twist on that because you know at the end of the day this is all about healing right It's about so high it's we women we know it's important to walk proud you know we we run businesses we take care of our families you know Um, you know, our part, we take care of our partners or be that partner alongside our, our mates. Um, we do a lot. And, um, sometimes though we do so much that we forget to take care of ourselves. And this was where the healing part came around. It's like, you know, sometimes it's time to take a step back, take up those high heels, open up your diaries, meaning start talking and start to heal and that's how the name came about so with that um i became the certified coach practitioner because part of what i wanted to do was to help people to um heal emotionally as i found that i i had um so i do that um i also do motivational speaking so of course i tell my story that's always how i start is it's about my story but i talk about what i've learned Mm -hmm about what i've learned education wise i talk about what i've learned with regards to friends family support um faith of course there's now none of this is possible with without faith and for me i really believe at the end of the day that um i'm only here because of one 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 being exactly better than everybody else um and um gosh what else do i do <laughs> at the well, high hill diaries really is is the ba- my baby that helps support women, but anything that comes from it financially goes to supporting women that are dealing with a breast cancer diagnosis. A portion of everything that I do goes to helping women that are dealing with a breast cancer diagnosis. And what, by, what I mean by that is, um, if you are going through your current treatments and say you're off of work, um, say you need some finances to pay for some utility bills, children's expenses, grocery bills, transportation to the hospital, care packages, or, or simply just a, a day at the spa. Um, that's where the money that's raised with High Hill Diaries goes to helping those women. Um, I have a talk show, YouTube talk show. And what I do with that is I interview women that are at a place where they're ready to share their story and nice. share their as a way of saying, hey, you know what? I've been there, done that. I've gone through those stages of emotional healing and I've come out of it on the other side and I'm happy to share my story with you so that you too can see that you can be there, get there as well. So, I mean, I speak, I've spoken to women on a wide range of topics from having Crohn's disease to having um, uh, septicemia to... Um, abusive relationships, whether it's a partner or a parent, there's, it's a a wide range of, 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 um, stories that we put out there. And yeah, it's, it, it, at the end of the day, when, when a woman is finished talking about their journey and they know that it's out there in public, it's almost like a relief. It's like, this is not only my burden anymore. It's not a burden anymore. I've just shared what I've learned with the world. And if someone can learn from me, like leaving, when they leave, you know, the interview room, they're always so happy. And they're always like, it feels like that load off their shoulder. They didn't even know they had like, yeah. They're like, I've never, I haven't spoken about this, like this before, you know, and it feels so good for them. And I'm just happy to be a part of that. Mm -hmm. Okay. What else do I do? So I believe in um, the whole look good, feel better aspect of, of healing. Um, and that when you look at yourself in the mirror and if you, you like what you see, it helps to heal you within as well. And so bringing in my, my background of, of um, decor and color and, and makeup, um, I, I'll do make, makeovers. So if you're, you know, whether it's for a one-time event or um, if you just want a facial and, and makeup just to make you feel good. Um, so I'll do that and, and skincare as well. So um, skincare treatment. Sometimes it just yeah. takes a little boost like that to make somebody get them out of their their funk you know yeah mm-hmm. so um and then I write I'm an author so I write stories anytime I'm feeling empowered or inspired by something that's just happened whether it's an experience of mine or an experience of a friend or a family member I write about it and so everything is on my website High Hill Diaries and um there's candid pictures of events that I've had there's my stories there's resources so anybody that needs um, information as far as cancer um, support systems, um, uh, support systems, and just resources, other resources, they're all are all out there. So the biggest, the biggest um, fundraiser that I do for High Heel Diaries is my breast cancer walk called High uh, Walk a Mile in My Shoes. It's I do it every year, my on the third week, third weekend, third Sunday of August. And oh, it's a fabulous event. We walk a mile in high heel high heel shoes. I don't even know if I could get like past two meters, but go ahead. This is so fun. Oh, was trying to. Let's wear comfortable shoes because you're coming this year, next year. <laughs> I be, side me up I'm gonna be like, girl, yeah. we have somewhere to go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we walk them out in high heel shoes, and again, it's to share and and talk about the strength of women and how again important it is to take a break when you need to take that break um there's food there's a ton of prizes there's vendors everything being about health and wellness we have singers so it's a great event and so we, we make I think the first year which was 2018 mm-hmm. made um i believe it was like hundred. Second year was bigger made 6000 and it all goes to the fund to help the women that are, are needing their current treatments so it's it's the feel good yeah it's such a feel good um business because it's it's nothing worse than feeling alone it's nothing worse than being in a position where a you're going through this diagnosis now b you're, you're 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 suffering financially and you can't pay a bill but you have no choice but to be off of work because you need to go through the treatment right so there there's um that's that's the way I support because I mean there's a lot of different organizations that fund um, non for profit uh, businesses like the Canadian Cancer Society that when when and then when we have say the Breast Cancer Foundation um, they get a lot of funding and support and you know that's great because it's important that we have that but there's also that current effect when people are going through their diagnosis and their treatment.
0: Yes. That,
1: that the problems that you see right here right now you understand mm-hmm. and when money goes to the big you know organizations and foundations like i know they do stuff great stuff with their money but we don't know where it goes we don't know what's happening mm-hmm. for instance you know if i have a family friend that i know you know they're suffering because you know one person that the, the, the mom is off of work and can't pay for their children's activities right now like and you came to me and said, okay, my, my friend's mom needs help. That's such a good feeling to know that I've helped someone or that you have come to me to help someone that you actually know, you know? Wow.
0: Yeah. I, I like
1: that. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, High Hill Diaries oh, is, it's, um, never thought very, about it that way. Yeah. Yeah. It's very, very dear to my heart. Um, right now I'm in the process of making um, a High Hill Diary wine bottle. I haven't yet. Yeah. <sighs> Mm-hmm. yeah so we has have some wine um and it's gonna have my logo and everything on it and <gasps> proceeds goes to the cause so it's a you know it's not like you're just purchasing the bottle it's a donation mm-hmm. it goes to helping the cause
0: yeah i love that at least you are very direct with where the money goes because like you said the big organizations sometimes oh they hold it off for a special event yeah the government goes to all these people but you never really see yeah. what happens after i hand you the yeah. money
1: yeah. That's the thing. And you know, we, we, I did that several times, gave money to different foundations and, and I don't feel I, I'm happy to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I said, if I can help somebody in a small way that I see that I know or somebody else knows if collectively really, because really it's not only coming from me mm-hmm. if collectively, when we have found a, a fundraiser and money is created and that money goes to helping these women. So collectively we're helping. Right um and you know when that money runs out I continue to do and I just I use money from from my own pocket and I'm happy to do that because you know at the end of the day people have given up their time um to me yeah to me freely so yeah
0: everything you do you you genuinely do it with a genuine heart
1: I do yeah I do I do with a genuine heart and I actually believe in this saying so much so that I I was in France I was in paris just um in july yeah during covid <laughs> silly me yes yeah, so i was in paris
0: don't worry i was in jamaica about three weeks ago so i'm <laughs> with you <laughs>
1: I such bad girls right. COVID. okay it's not <laughs> it, that bad i know right i said well you know what we're we got to do the same thing here that we got to do there we got to wear a mask we got to sanitize we gotta mm, yep. do all the same things but anyways um what I was saying was I, I got a tattoo on my neck and it says, do everything in love. So I don't know if you can see it So it's in Arabic. And for me, I kind of live by that model.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I really do. And I mean, I think if everybody was to think that way a little bit more in life, that when they go about doing something or saying something, um, if they think, about doing it in love. I to think about doing it with a kind heart, not with, you know, vindictive mind or soul. Um, there'll be so much, the world will be such a better place. And so if my little part can be to do everything and do what I do in love, then whoever I affect in whatever way, um, then I know I'm doing my part. And if that's what my purpose and my journey was, then I feel like I'm fulfilling it
0: absolutely oh i think that's that i think that's the biggest takeaway from it you don't people always have this idea in mind that when you do something it's for a benefit it's a, for some type of beneficial gain or whatever mm. the case may be mm-hmm. but yeah. at some point you have to do things to do it out of love yeah. out of to actually help someone right not right. because you want that glory or something in return no
1: No. you why. just want to make sure you're paid forward yeah absolutely and and again you have to remember that um People, like I've seen some of my friends come and get on their hands or knees and clean my house and pick up my children and drop them off. and, And not that I wouldn't do that for them. Of course, I would do that for them. But it's like, you don't have to ask. Sometimes people just show up and it just really warmed my heart because, you know, you don't, they don't, they don't have to do it. And I mean, they could say, okay, well, she's got mom, dad, you know, husband and kids. So she's good. But people come out of the woodwork in order to help and be there for you. And, you know, I've said it, you know, a million times and I'll say it a million more. Like, I so appreciate them all. And, you know, it it sometimes wants to bring, I, sometimes I'm such a suck, I told you already, but it brings me to tears because-
0: I can see the I'm emotion like, on your
1: face. Yeah, it just brings me to tears because, you know, when I'm up, and I'm feeling hopeless and helpless, they're being that support, that mom, that that housekeeper, that business person for me. And they have their own stuff to do though. They have their own family to take care of, they have their own businesses and own partners to take care of, but they're giving up of giving up, giving that up for a temporary period and coming in to help me. And I really appreciate it. Yeah. Oh, I okay.
0: love that. Oh, you can get me all of Misty. <laughs> oh.
1: Yeah, it's a feel good business. I always say that if I don't make a red cent, and you know, like realistically speaking, there's parts of the business where I, I do make money, and then that, that's great because you know, we all need to <laughs> pay bills too, of right? Of course. Um, but sometimes I feel bad actually taking money from people for certain things because I'm like, I'm helping and I don't feel like I should have to charge for that I I want to help you know um yeah but um the gas bill said the gas people the gas company want to be paid too so I charge
0: (laughs) I feel like just know the money is always going to a good place it's going to a
1: good place right yeah (laughs) so it's a good feeling for sure
0: now, see, I want to touch on, because we talk about so much about self-love and acceptance mm-hmm. and, you know, you're protecting your peace. And I guess with cancer or just going through any kind of struggles in general, you, you will come across that time where you will lack the self-love and self-acceptance. Mm-hmm. So for someone who's lost that, um, how do you hold on to that? How do you fall back in love with yourself? How mm-hmm. do you take that first step to be like, oh, wow, I, I love me?
1: Yeah. And, and loving you, there's so many aspects to loving you too, right? There's, there's, um, loving you physically and how you, you know, your, your body and how you, how you look. And there's, there's self-respect, um, self-care, um, and there's all that aspect of, of, of loving you. That's so important, right? To know that you're worthy and you are enough. And, um, I was always, I was always one of those, those young women that, that, had a good handle on that self-love piece, right? Um, self-care and all that. I always had a good handle on that. Um, but when I was diagnosed and I lost my breasts, um, I think I, at first, I I wasn't thinking too much about how I looked because i was just so busy with going about the business of trying to heal. And, you know, I, it would be one surgery after the other that I'm busy taking care of kids. I didn't really have a lot of time to be looking at myself and being concerned about how I felt because in my head all I was thinking was okay I'm gonna get to that end result anyways and I'll have breath back yeah. so I, I wasn't really um but I think closer to maybe it was after in 2016 um well before that I started to have like a little bit of a volatile up and down relationship with my body like I was like oh I'm good and then next you know a couple of weeks I'm like no I'm not good i like you know what I'm here, so I'm good. You know, I'm alive, so I'm good. And I'd be like, "Yeah, but I'm alive, but and I'm a young woman. I'm looking at myself, and I'm all feel feel mutilated. No, I'm not okay. You know." So I went through a lot of ups and downs with that, and then it was in 2016 when again um, the, the cancer came back, and I lost the breast altogether. It kind of forced me into some self reflection. And it forced me to, Natalie, you have to be well with yourself the way you are, because what if, Mm -hmm. and you have to sometimes look at what ifs, and that kind of throws you into a little bit of a deeper thinking mode when you start doing the what ifs, because what if, you know, the next reconstruction, reconstructive phase doesn't work very well, and you are left without rest, are you going to not love yourself for the rest of your life?
0: Mm -hmm.
1: So... I, I really did a lot of soul searching and I, I really believed that regardless of how I looked physically, because the nature of the person that I am, am inside, I knew I was beautiful and I just kept reinforcing that I'm a beautiful person. I'm I, I, I loving, I'm giving, I'm hardworking, you know, I try to do as best as I can with everything that I do. So I knew that I was beautiful inside I knew I had a good heart so at the end of the day it really didn't matter what it looked like physically on the outside yeah to to know that the self-love self-respect peace was bigger than anything else and then when you have that then nothing physical matters nothing physical matters
0: I think you made a key point with that self-reflect though, because I feel like there's not, there's in a sense steps mm-hmm. to get into that place. And that self-reflect is something that people really don't take into consideration or don't no, take seriously. It's no. like to go from zero yeah, to yeah. 100.
1: And that's the thing. Like you, you, you're going to go through the stages where you just like, you know, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm looking at myself and I just don't like what I see. And you, you get angry and, and you become, you know, bitter and, and, that can consume you whole. And when you feel that way, you know, it's not a good feeling. Because then then nobody else is good. You're depressed and you're in a dark place and everybody else is going to be miserable, right? So it starts with you. It starts with you. And I just posted today um, something about the first step in being happiness. is first step in in self-love is to be happy with yourself. I can't remember what I said. (laughs) um, (laughs) i post every day a quote but let me see what i said today to fall in love with yourself is the first secret to happiness so important yeah so important yeah Mm -hmm. first and everything else thereafter will just fall into place oh and see and that goes
0: for everything you don't have like say we don't you don't have to be suffering from cancer you don't have to be going through these battles these are just this is a life lesson on a daily Definitely. for so many especially yeah. young girls
1: yes i was yeah. just gonna go there and i think if anything that i'm happy that my children i'm seeing that my children have learned is self-respect and self-love and self-care and to know that you know what you can do anything you set your mind to do and it's it's such a, a cliche statement, but when you when you think about the gravity of it, and if you have that mindset, then you really can achieve anything you want. You really can. And you know, it's it's also me getting up and going after every surgery and after every diagnosis, and and getting up and going, and still looking like you know, I don't want to say looking like I'm okay because there's one piece of looking like you're, you're okay, but then internally you're not. So, I mean, not, no one's perfect and you're never a hundred percent okay. Um, but I've got a great handle on being okay. If you understand what I mean? Mm-hmm. And know when I'm not doing so well. And I take a step back and I regroup, right? And it's, it's, it's important to know when you're when you're not doing okay, because that's where the four R's come about. You know, when you recognize your problem, realize that something needs to be done to fix it, replace it with some better habits or better things or better people, and then keep repeating those patterns until you get to a better place, right? So it's important, and I think for young people to get a good handle on, that, on Um The, the mental um, health issue is huge in our society because there's so many things that are affecting our young people now um you know issues at home whether they're seeing things on the news or in school um, you know it's it's important to get that mental health piece in check
0: yeah oh that's 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 a key takeaway right here Mm -hmm. definitely with every like you said with everything that they get um that they see in media family Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We have to check on our young girls. We have to teach them self-love from now because there's so many things where they see and they'd be like, but I want to look like her. Why don't Mm -hmm. I have this? Why don't I have that? And that's something that I feel like almost every girl Mm -hmm. is guilty of whether we can admit it or not.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. There was a time where, you know, because this is what society says we should look like. You know, there was a period of time growing up for everybody i'm sure that you're like okay well i'm not happy with my body because i don't look like that girl on you know in the magazine um, but you know i'm such a big advocate especially now with having lost breasts um, and having gone through all the different reconstructive phases that i've i've done a lot of um uh photography work for for artists um magazine articles um for body awareness because it's important to to be okay with your body as it is, especially if that is where your body's going to stay. Then you have to be okay with it. Absolutely. And so many different stages of breast reconstruction. I remember posing with the one breast. I remember posing with both, but, you know, it showed the scars. That was actually just in Zoomer magazine. Um, it's actually on stands right now, Zoomer magazine. There's um, a spread on scars. That was that black and white portrait, right? Yeah. Oh, I loved it. Yeah yeah that was so empowering so empowering and to be with all those people that were willing to show their scars but really the piece was about um the stigma behind scars but how we people people are dealing with them are still strong and they found strength behind um uh, strength after going through what they went through right um yeah so it's it's huge the um the piece of being, being well with yourself and being okay with it. And it's not easy. It takes time to get there, but the, the point is uh, when you get there, what are you gonna do with it? Yes, mm-hmm.
0: just take it one step at a time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now my next question for you is, cause I wanna go back to the beginning when you're talking about you know, your husband and how he kind of handled the situation versus how mm-hmm. you felt. Now mm-hmm. I actually had this question submitted by a male friend of mine and he wanted to know how do you communicate to your partner in the way in which they should they should support you. So mm-hmm. you as the wife, as the girlfriend, as the daughter or whoever going through what you're going through, how do you mm-hmm. communicate to the man in your
1: life. Who's <clears throat> like, this is new. Well, you gotta have communication whereby you actually speak because you know, a lot of times women assume that men should know just because they've been with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I assume my husband should know that I want to hear, baby, you're beautiful. I want to hear, I love you regardless. I want to hear, well, of course he loves me regardless. Of course he thinks I'm beautiful, right? I know that, but I still want to hear it, right? Because right now, mm-hmm well, not right now, but during the the whole early stages and losing your breast, like self-esteem for us women is very low, right? Very low. Um, And I never, I don't think I always felt self-conscious around him, Um, you know, getting out of the shower or changing whatnot. I didn't always, like, it's not like I said, oh my God, my husband's around. I got to cover myself because I don't like how I look. No, I mean, I just wasn't intentionally, you know, walking around and flaunting my, my, my body either, not flaunting, but I I wasn't intentionally walking around saying, look at my one and a half breasts or my no breasts. You know what I mean? I was conscious that I don't feel as beautiful as I normally feel. So I'm not going to just be out there and, you know, be like that.
0: You were kind of limiting yourself in a sense. Yeah,
1: I was, but that being said, um, along the way, and again, it's always important to remember and especially women that are listening to this, I'm not expecting you to be like that in the beginning, right? This is along the way as you become more aware of how you're healing the different phases you're going through. Along the way, I finally became okay with being nude around him and still feeling beautiful. And I found ways to, you know, spice up our, our, you know, our intimate relationship, and and. have to do those things when you're when you're armed with such like detrimental issues in your life like a lot of people if they leave it it could cause serious harm to the relationship right because intimacy is is a very important factor as much as it cut it any way you want to it's an important factor in a relationship so when you're now dealing with what you're dealing with how are you going to spice it up so you know I you know found lingerie that was cute enough in order to wear while I had my prosthetics in you have to learn how to do those things right yeah Until you get to a place where where you know you might not have to wear the prosthetic anymore um but to to answer the question again I would say just make sure you almost like overkill to your female partner that you they've you're, I love you the way you are. You look sexy. Go and buy her some lingerie, you know? Give her that support and, and, and not only not only tell her that she looks good, like physically, like go up to her when it's just the middle of the day and give her that hug and that kiss. Say, I love you, baby. It's so important to have those out of the blue moments because at any given time of the day, that woman is feeling up, down, up, down, up, down so just be consistent with the support that's all and and don't take her on if she wilds out on you and throws a glass across the room just let her <laughs> just let her get out the anger just just, just let, her. let her just duck <laughs> right, right
0: you have to put on the and have a little pillow in hand it's okay that's you'll dumb. survive yeah <laughs> See, I just love how open and honest that is because a lot of yeah, people are yeah. like okay well you know, need to fake it till you make it they try to put on this facade and it's like it's not like that you're going to have your ups you're going to have
1: your downs no you're going to get straight goods from me because why am I going to talk to you about something that is so not what you're going to experience why That's it? Right? I mean again everybody's experience is going to be different but generally speaking from a lot of the women that I've spoken to this is what I get uh-huh mm-hmm. uh-huh yeah they done that yeah
0: because so. from coming from someone who's never experienced this like you know thank god so far like no family members or my yeah. mother nothing like that so yeah, you only see well. what the media tells you you see the movies because mm-hmm. so like you said when people hear cancer you automatically associate it with death mm-hmm, mm-hmm. when you hear survivors it's just like there's no in a sense humor to the story Yeah. It's like a long road traveled. And here I am. Mm -hmm. There's no real truths to it. No depth. And it's just like, wow,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: I never thought of it from this perspective or heard it from this point of view
1: before. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. Yeah. there's, There's, you know, definitely that point of view where you have to look at it from a different lens for sure. Yeah.
0: So now one of my, coming towards the end, but I have another question for you. What is one piece of advice that you can give someone battling breast cancer or is currently recovering from it?
1: Mm -hmm. (sighs) I'm just going to be, again, straight up, I want to say be prepared for the roller coaster And, and, and don't go in with these blinders on thinking that reconstruction, I mean, especially if you try the reconstruction, that it's going to be cut and dry. Okay. Almost like I want to say, um, prepare what was it? Prepare for the best, expect, expect the worst, prepare for the best. Or was it ex- prepare for the worst, expect the best. <laughs> Which way does it go? Do you remember there's that saying? I, only, I think
0: you're right the second time. That sounds prepare, right.
1: Prepare for the best, <laughs> expect the worst. <laughs> Wait,
0: no. Oh, see, now I need to search that. Now we have I feel, to I feel like you're, you're on the roll with it though.
1: Okay. But I think we know what well, I think they know what I'm trying to say is <laughs> know that the roller coaster is exactly that. It's gonna be a roller coaster. Mm-hmm. But prepare for it. So whatever you can do to prepare for it, then do that. Arm yourself with, with the support system before it even gets bad. Right? Before it even gets bad, because you don't want it to overcome you so much so that you don't even know where to go, who to talk to, you know, what to do, that you're just a hot mess, right? But know this, tomorrow's another day. Next week is another week. Next month is another month. And as much as it seems heavy right now, as much as everything seems dark right now, as much as you look at it and say, you can't get through it, you will. You will get through it because at your, your weakest times when you think that there's no one there and you think you can't make it, someone is holding you up. Amen. And, 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 you know, not everybody has that faith piece in their life, but I really urge you to find something bigger than you to hold on to. Find something bigger than you to believe in because you cannot do it on your own. And when you do that, you will be okay. You will know that you will be okay, and I say that because I and I say this all the time to people. And you know, sometimes they look at me like, "Well, how are you so okay with that?" I'm 47. Um, I've been dealing with this for you know since 2008. I have my children. Um, I've lived a good life, um, but because of what I'm doing right now with High Heel Diaries and giving back and feeling the love and the support and giving the love and support that I give, if I was to ever be diagnosed with something that was terminal, if I was to ever go out on the road, which we never know what happens tomorrow and not come back, I truly today can say that I've served my purpose here. And I think everybody needs to go about life and everything that they do, trying to find ways to serve a greater purpose because everybody has a greater purpose here. And now if you feel like you're not doing anything to give back and to help, find something to get involved in. And I encourage, especially people that are going through treatment, um, to find something to get involved in, to give back. Because what it does is it takes away some of the, the feeling of I'm the only one. Yes. It's heavy for me. When you see other people around you that are dealing with it and with the same thing, right? So that was, that was huge for me when I was going through my treatment, giving back was very, very important. So I worked with um, uh, an organization called Look Good, Feel Better. We helped women with makeovers, mm-hmm. with makeup and, and hair that are going through treatment, teach them how to do it. Um, I'm currently an ambassador for after breast cancer. Um, and we do a lot of things to help give back to, to women that are going through treatment. And it's, it's just so good, such a good feeling.
0: Oh, I love
1: that. And yeah. I just love
0: the whole, just give, again, give back, know that you're not alone. Mm-hmm. I love that. Mm-hmm. No, definitely not alone. Oh, now it comes to the big, if I feel like this is the simplest question, yet mm-hmm. the biggest question for you. What does it mean to be unapologetically Natalie? Ah, well. It's such a loaded question.
1: I know, right? There's so many things. Um, but what it means to me is I... I never, I don't apologize for anything that I do um, that I know people might frown upon because anything I do, A, I do it with love. (laughs) Yes. Secondly, um, there's always a purpose behind anything I do. So with regards to, for instance, posing um, top half a body nude in a Zoomer magazine, Some people would be uncomfortable with that but at the end of the day i have a message and my message is going to help others the messages of all those other people that are showing their breasts or their their stomach or whatever scars that they have wherever they are doing it whatever they are showing is it's a message for the greater good and so why would i apologize for that i would never apologize for that so if you're uncomfortable with this then there's other things that you can look at there's other ways that you can you know, seek empowerment or support, but this is Natalie's way of showing um, how I'm going about showing other women that they, they can be okay too. Basically, my story and my journey, I'm being um, so carte blanche with it, but it's an effort to support and encourage and empower others. So I would never apologize for that.
0: Oh, I love that. Here's what I think. If you guys are listening to this podcast on the streaming service, please just stop now, head over to YouTube, and watch this all again. Because it's one thing to hear what you're saying, but I have now just been watching you and, like, watching your emotions and how passionate and, like, genuine and, like, just watching you talk about this. Mm -hmm. This is something people really need to see. It goes beyond Mm -hmm. listening. Good.
1: Good. Oh. I hope I've, I hope I've, you know, given enough information to. And there's okay. so, so multifaceted. I, I want to inspire. I want to empower. I want to encourage. You know, with with everything that I do and I say, there's there's so many pieces that I'm I'm trying to try to get it, try to get out there, because um, that's what's helped me to be at a place where I am. Education, inspire, inspire mm-hmm. in you know, stories from others and um, other women that were out there to empower other women. That's what we need to do. We need to do more of that. Yeah, I, I
0: agree. I yeah. agree. Yeah, 100%. Especially in a world now where everyone is trying to pin women against women.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: We need that empowerment yeah. coming together. Yeah, unity. for sure. style. Yeah, <laughs> I
1: know, right? <laughs> for sure, yeah. And, um, you know, women in general, But I find that um, coming from my my background Jamaican background um we're so used to you know keeping things private and and secret and not sharing with one another and you know and and rightfully so because sometimes you know women can be chatty Cathy and and share information you know outside of people that they're supposed to keep it within Um, Mm -hmm. so for far too often you know you've always learned to you know keep your business to yourself don't share don't open you know, and I'm here to, to say the opposite. Yep. Be the opposite. Open up and share, but find the right people. Find that's the right it. Friend, right? And that's what the, the key is, is to have the right person, the right friend, the right therapist, the right, you know, confidant. And, mm-hmm. and talk it out. Talk about it. Yes.
0: Oh. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I'm about to, like, watch this, listen to it. or show my mom and be like okay so all of you (laughs) watch learn get your notebooks ready share to everyone
1: a lot of information but yeah
0: it was so great but the way you delivered it is what has me glued to my seat right now be like no more this is not enough time
1: i know right (laughs) i hope people don't get bored and be like this is too long don't shut this off Uh -uh. y'all need a break (laughs) go ahead take your break and come back right like, this
0: is an episode me i like i think that right now this is my favorite episode to date mm. learned so much but the way you delivered
1: it is just like wow oh good good oh. I'm happy about that i'm
0: happy about that i'm so sad to say this but this concludes today's episode of unapologetically her thank you so much again natalie for joining me today and before we go let them know where they can find you all your social medias your website just you know let, let them know everything go let ahead No,
1: everything everything <laughs> so um instagram is you know my biggest uh form of social media um where i put everything that i'm doing on instagram um every any source of information you'll find there so everything is high heel diaries pretty much if you want to find me just put in high heel diaries <clears throat> and don't forget heal h-e-a-l. So there's Instagram, there's Facebook, um, Twitter, um, and once again, the the website has everything and more. That's like one stop shop for everything you can find for Natalie. And oh, don't forget to to look me up on YouTube and um watch some of the interviews with the women. Yes. And like and subscribe and share the information. Mm-hmm.
0: And it's High Heel Diaries on YouTube as
1: well, right? Yeah. Everything is High Heel Diaries. Perfect. So yeah. you, you guys, heard,
0: make sure you hit that subscribe button. I know you'd be on YouTube. Get off that <laughs> site. Go on YouTube. Watch and subscribe. Learn, learn a thing or two. <laughs> yes. Yes. It's a great site. Yes. You guys, thank you so much for listening. If you would like to hear from Natalie again, or if you have any comments, questions or podcast topics, hit me up on social media at Unapologetically Her on Instagram and at Unapologetic underscore UH on Twitter. And don't forget, you can listen to us on various streaming platforms. And that includes, and it's a long list, Anchor, Apple Podcast, Breaker, Google Podcast, Overcast, Podbean, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, SoundCloud, Spotify and YouTube once again thank you all so much for listening thank you for joining me today natalie oh it was an
1: honor oh thank you natalie
0: thank you and hopefully you guys will tune in for a new episode much love peace Bye. (laughs) bye